Hello and welcome to the Backcheck, the hockey history podcast where we talk about whether or not NHL players belong in the Hockey Hall of Fame. My name is Riley and I'm joined by Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good, how about you? I'm doing great, thanks. And today we have uh, three players as we usually do. Um, one eligible player, one recently inducted player, and one old timer. And the theme today, I guess, is sort of defensively responsible offensive stars. I mean, that's, I'm going to attempt, I think that's sort of our theme, right? Yes, at one time they were definitely offensive stars, but they definitely have a, uh, a strong defensive aspect to their game, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It, we're sure about two of them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> one of them <laughs> is a guess. But anyway, um, so we're going to start things off with Rod Brindamar, our eligible player, and then we have Peter Forsberg, our uh, recently inducted player, who was inducted, I believe, four years ago. And then finally, we have Frank Nybor, who we're going to claim was a defensively responsible old-timer, but we don't actually know that. <laughs> <laughs> we never know. We're never 100% we ne- sure. About this. We're never sure about anything. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'll get us started with uh, Rod Brindamore then. Um, so, uh, Rod Brindamore played for 20 seasons in the NHL from 1989 to 2010, and 17 of them were quality. He scored 452 goals, had 732 assists for, uh, 1,184 points and a minus 39 in 1,484 games, uh, which is 23rd all time in games played. Uh, he averaged 2105 of uh, of time on ice since it started being tracked in 9899 and a 105.7 point share uh in his draft class 1988 brindamore was drafted ninth overall and is sixth in goals fourth in assists fifth in points 82nd in plus minus third in games played of the 21 players to play in at least 1,250 games between 1989 and 2010, Brindamore is eighth in goals, assists per game, points, and points per game, ninth in goals per game and offensive point shares, seventh in assists, 19th third last in plus minus, and 14th in point shares. His 82 game average. Uh, was 25 goals and 40 assists for roughly 66 points. I guess we had a 0.5 in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and a minus 23. No, that's not right. That can't that's be right. That, that can't be. Maybe right. maybe minus two or minus three. Let's but... let's call it minus 2.3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can't be minus 23. That's impossible. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. If you just calculate how many years he played, let's say minus two. Yeah. Um, yeah. just a typo, I think. Yeah, yeah. The uh, three-year peak from 91 to 94, his 82-game average was 35 goals, 52 assists for 87 points and a minus seven. That's Uh, much more correct. Yes, that sounds better. Um, His possession stats since 2007-2008, so really just the tail end of his career there. Um, 51.6 Corsi 4, a negative 0.5 relative Corsi 4, 50.6% 50.6% Fenwick 4, and a negative 1.7 relative Fenwick 4. His playoff stats, 51 goals, 60 assists for 111 points, and a plus 7 in 159 games. His adjusted stats, 463 goals, 400, uh, sorry, 747 assists for 1,210 points. 
His adjusted 82-game average would be 26 goals, 41 assists for 67 points. Rindemore is obviously not in the top top 25 in any adjusted uh, per game uh, per game category, and he was traded twice in his prime. Okay, so his accomplishments. Uh, he won the Selkie twice in 2006 and 2007. He was top five in Calder voting in his rookie year. He scored 35 goals three times, 30 goals five times, 25 goals nine times, 20 goals 12 times. He tallied 60 assists twice, 50 assists four times, 46, 40 assists six times. He scored 90 points once, 80 points four times, 70 points eight times, 60 points nine times, 50 points 14 times. He's top 10 in goals once. He was a first team all rookie. He had one all-star game appearance, which is really surprising to me. Um, and uh, three stars. He was a monthly second star twice. Okay, his great teams. He was the best player by points on one Final Four, the 95 Flyers. He was the best skater, possibly even best player, on one champion, the 06 Hurricanes. He was the best skater on one runner-up, the 02 Hurricanes. Uh, he was a top three forward, led the playoffs in goals on one runner-up, the 97 Flyers, and a top nine forward on one final four, the 09 Hurricanes. He was a top six, possibly, forward by points on one World Cup runner-up, the 96 Canada, and a top six forward by points, with, again with a question mark, on one world champion, 94 Canada. So I think it's it's safe to say that by, like, offensive stuff alone, I don't think Brendan Moore belongs. Because, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, like, he's, I would say he's on the edge, but I wouldn't say yeah. by any means should you be like, you know, nobody should be petitioning at the hall to make sure that he gets in. He was a good offensive player at times, uh, the, maybe the best player on his team, but by no means was he a superstar offensive player. Yeah. I mean, he, he, wasn't like, you know, we, we usually read out like, you know, uh, our approximate like best player in the league thing is hockey references point shares. And usually the players we talk about have at least one season where they're a top five or top 10 player by offensive point shares. Mm -hmm. Never in Brendan Moore's career. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, uh, like I read out there, top 10 in goals once, never top 10 in points, never top 10 in assists, even though he was more of a passer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think offensively, I don't personally think he has a case and I, I don't, or like you said, he has a, he, a real borderline case and, you know, it's, it would be hard to argue unless like you go back and find all the other guys who there are some in the hall who, who don't, you know, who have similar numbers and, and might already be in. So I think for me anyway, the case rests on whether or not he was an elite defensive forward, which his two uh, sulky awards suggest he was. And that leads us to me anyway, it leads me to think about the obvious big issue, which is that he played nearly 1500 games and he's a minus. Yeah. And we've talked about before how obviously we know plus minus is flawed. You know, it's a five person stat. It's it, it really is. It, it changes from year to year. It's it, with luck, you know, you can, you can have guys can have a minus 15 one year and be a plus 10 the next year. And, you know, the, their team might not be that much different. Uh, but 1,484 games is a massive sample. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and he's, you know, he's like, he's the third worst in plus minus of his era for people to play that long. I think even if we stretched it 
to outside of his era and still had like the 1250 game uh, cutoff, we'd still find he's in among the very worst. He's down there with like Shane Doan and Phil Housley among the players who played a ton um, since plus minus existence and still somehow still managed to be minus. Uh, but to play devil's advocate to myself, you know, he was played. I mean, even the second half of his career, he was averaging over 21 minutes on, on ice. Yeah, in well into his late thirties, I believe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like he, it's um, <clears throat> he had this reputation for just being like this guy that could just play, like stay on the ice for absolutely forever, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he had that old nickname, um, uh, Rod the Bod. <laughs> for, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, McGuire used to mention that all the time when he talked yeah. about it. Um uh because apparently he was like a workout maniac right like so he would just constantly like lift weights workouts like just he would just keep going they wouldn't let him they wouldn't let him back into the rinks when he was in uh when he was in uh, university of michigan uh, oh really yeah he crazy. Would, like, go in and work out late at night so they turn the lights on him he'd just keep going so they'd just like just lock it don't let him in <laughs> um wow. so that was his like rep in college hockey right and then he yeah. made it to um made it to the NHL and he was always like, I mean, I, like when we start tracking average, um, average time on ice, he's at 21. That's a lot for a forward, especially back in those days. Well, a lot for a forward over the course of a decade, particularly. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, sure is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's usually like a playoff stat, right? Like, wow. He yeah. That's a that's playoff amazing. stat. That is a playoff stat. Yeah. And he was just all, and I remember like, it is, it's weird to bring up a fantasy hockey thing and, and, you know, something where you're considering a guy's hall of fame career. But I used to be in a whole bunch of different, like, you know, Yahoo fantasy pools or whatever. And if it was rotisserie and you had all the categories, yeah. if you got Rod Brindamore, you automatically won the face-off category. Like it was over. He won so yeah. many face-offs. Yeah. It was crazy. He was, re- he, he was really dominant of that. Yeah, he really, really was. Like, if there's ever going to be a guy who's like, should get Hall of Fame consideration for just being awesome at face-offs, he's one of the top, like, few guys. Like, Well, it's, it's funny that you bring that up because just, and not that we want to get too sidetracked, but it, one of the interesting things in, in the evolution of, like, how people think about hockey is, is where face-offs have, have fallen because, Initially, you know, I feel like, and you, you might know better than me, I feel like, because you were definitely watching, you've watched longer and, and from a, a longer period. And of course you've played and I haven't, but it does seem like it depended on the coach. Some coaches valued face off. Some coaches were like, yeah, I, I hope we win them, but like, I don't really care yeah. as long as we get the puck back at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and then when analytics first entered into hockey, everyone was like face offs, face offs, face offs. And everybody, like, I remember the, the, the Leafs signed a couple guys, including a guy named David Steckel, who was like a fourth liner yep. specifically because one year he was like, it, if you lowered the qualifier in minutes low enough, he was like, you know, third or fourth in the league in face off percentage at like 54% or uh, over the course of the entire season, or might've been even higher than that. Yeah. And, and you know, there was this. Yeah, yeah, he might have the league and sticking his shoulder into Crosby's face and giving him a concussion. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> the outdoor classic, remember? <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that actually, uh, and I conveniently forgot about it. Um, and you know, there was a little period there where everyone was like face-offs, 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 and now that they're getting really, really in depth and looking at like zone entries and all sorts of things like that, people are starting to claim, at least, and I'm I'm not a statistician, so I can't 
say whether or not there's a lot of um, evidence for this, but that they don't think face-off wins correlate that much to possession. Mm. Despite the fact that you, when you win it, you get possession. So it's at least what I've seen is that face-offs are like they're, yeah, sure. The, the, you get possession then, but like, I guess teams give up the puck enough or, or get the puck back enough that it doesn't actually matter as much as people thought it was it did so there's now like this like this like ebb back where people got really really like like six seven years ago were like really into face-offs and now they're like "Eh, maybe not and i it it sort of counterintuitive to me because i i feel like you want to you want to get the puck you know Uh, especially especially given that we know that possession correlates to to wins over long term um but Anyway, I just figured I'd mention that. So, like, because I I have always been very impressed by people with high faceoff percentages, and and now I'm reading stuff where they're like, well, it's not as important as you think it is. And, well, see, they they you know they, they they say that because maybe it doesn't fit into their statistical model as well as they thought it would. Like, it's not as strong yeah. as a correlator of maybe success. Yeah. I think until you get to the playoffs, and every faceoff is like, if they win this offensive zone faceoff, there's going to be a chance here. Like, yeah, at certain points of the game, I think it matters a lot, and I think probably offensive and defensive zone faceoffs are like, that's huge because you're already in the zone. If you can win, you're going to yeah. maintain offensive possession, wear the other team down. So if you're winning a lot of offensive faceoffs, you're in their zone a lot more. And yeah. if you're winning all the defensive faceoffs and getting the puck out of the zone, especially on the power play, like, it's it's almost like situationally. Yeah, I agree with you. Super important and like there's almost like no way for that to fit into a, a stats matrix or a stats model that they. Would well, it's use. hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I I think it's. I don't think they necessarily track. Well, they might track all of them, but I. Yeah. They didn't used to track the difference. It was just faceoff percentage. Period. Yeah. For a long time, I don't know if it is different now, but. It would actually be a really interesting thing to do. And by the way, I'm not going to be the guy to do this because I'm yeah. not a stats guy. But uh, if somebody were to calculate uh, like face-off value in terms of, you know, you won the face-off at center ice at the beginning of the game. It doesn't even matter. But you won yeah. a face-off deep in your own zone that allowed your team to burn off 30 seconds of the other team's power play. That's like a plus five. Like <laughs> That's huge on your yeah. rating, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. You know, Losing said face off is like, oh, that's a minus three. That's bad. Don't lose that one. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you lost a face off to a rookie. <laughs> that's bad. You should be beating that guy. That kind of thing, right? Like, there should be some sort of like measurable like thing, especially when it comes to offensive and defensive uh, zone face offs. I think that would probably be an interesting way to do it if anybody's listening and is a complete stats nerd with. Well, and somebody may have done it for all we know, but. Oh, yeah. yeah probably some guy. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just wanted to mention that because, yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right to bring up Burton Moore's prowess at that. He was one of the best of his era and possibly one of the best all time at winning faceoffs. And I've always been really impressed by that. And, yeah. and, and I think it's certainly whether or not it is actually tied directly to, uh, correlated directly to possession or not, it is. Uh, something that I think when you're just watching, it certainly gives you the idea that someone is more defensively responsible when you, especially if you see them win a lot of defensive face-off, zone face-offs, right? Like they go out on the ice either during penalty kills or even just high pressure situations and they win a lot of them. You know, it, it gives you the impression anyway that this is a person, you know, you want 
on the ice uh, to play you know, when you're when you're trying to get the puck back and you're 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 trying to keep a lead or whatever. Um, yeah. And about, uh, just to go back to the ice time thing, which you had brought up, um, one of the things I wanted to mention, uh, in terms of like an argument against his negative, you know, like, yes, he's, he's, uh, um, he's got that minus. I, I just called it a negative. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did it. Um, but I, you know, I think you could make, I'm not saying I believe this, but I think you could make a case for him as to being the the deserving Conn Smythe winner in 2006, his goalie Cam Ward won it, obviously, uh, and that would be based because uh, on the fact that he played a hell of a lot of minutes, uh, 596 minutes in the playoffs that year. Which I'm just going to look up uh, how much that is um, compared to everybody else. I believe it's it's uh, yeah. So. Uh, Oops, hold on. Cooperate. All right, so yeah, he he played more than the defenseman, which you know doesn't normally happen. That's I mean, I think never happened. Well, Carolina didn't have a true like number one leave him out all game defense. That, that's that's why yeah. it was by committee, right? Like it was it was Hedekin, Aaron Ward, Commodore, uh, not Thomas Caberlet, the other Caberlet. Uh, Nicholas Woolleen, you know, like Glenn Wesley, who was 37, uh, you know, like um, that was like, it was like defense by committee uh, a little bit. I mean, Hedekin was playing 2240 a game and he's, he's the ice time leader wow. among defensemen, which is, that is weird for uh, a Stanley Cup winning team. Oh, so, you know, very, very, very rarely does a Stanley Cup winner not have a number one defenseman. There yeah. Is- Exception to the rule. So, like Ward, you know, Ward is the narrative, and Ward has a good case. You know, he 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 took over from Martin Gerber and saved the team's season. And oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, is is two fourteen GAA is it's fine. His nine twenty save percentage is fine. Yeah. Um, neither of them are crazy. So, I think I, all I'm saying is, I think you could look at Brenda Moore's, uh, you know, nearly six hundred minutes on ice in twenty five games. And the fact that he was, uh, you know, third on the team in points, mm-hmm. and say like, you know, you could make an argument that he was the most important player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just bring that up partly because you know that's you know had he had he been given the Conn Smythe that year, he would have the magic three awards, yes. which is like every every NHL player, uh, as far as I know, who's eligible who has at least three awards, with possibly the exception of Key Carbono. Um, hold on, let me check. I can't remember how many Selkies Carbono has. Uh, I think he has two or three. Yeah, if if Carbono is oh, so Carbono is the exception because Carbono is oh no, sorry, I really should have. So it used to be the magic number. Mm-hmm. Prior to Carbono, it was the magic number of three awards you you're in. But Carbono and Lindenen both have three Selkies and are not in. Yeah. Um, you know what? But I, they, I would agree pretty. I really like Guy Carbono, and I'd, I'd probably try to make a case for him, but I don't know that he belongs. And Lettinen, I can say right now, definitely, like without looking at his career stats, definitely should not be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So anyway, um, prior to those guys, and, the, and you know, there's some, there's sort of like a asterisk with the Selkie, even though it's like considered a major award. It's not by, I feel like by Hall of Fame voters, it really isn't considered a major award. Yeah. But all of this is to say that 
yes, Brendan Moore is a, a minus 39 career, but he was also being played at least in the um, 2006 playoffs when he won the Stanley Cup as if he was, you know, the franchise defenseman, essentially. I mean, yes, he was the he was a forward, but he was being played top two defenseman pair minutes yeah. on a team. Uh, and, you know, he, he was uh, um, he was only plus nine, which whatever. It wasn't the top on the team there. But, like, the point being, you know, I think we can use ice time as a proxy for value and and uh, some somewhat. And, uh, you know, he was being treated as if he was the most important player on that team aside from the goalie. Yeah. And um, that does suggest, aside from the fact that both you and I, I think, remember him as, as being defensively responsible and being uh, good defensively, you know, he's the fact he was being played so much, he wouldn't be out there on the ice. This is a very long way of me trying to say he wouldn't be out there on the ice for 600 minutes in the playoffs if he was bad defensively. Exactly. Yeah. And especially, um, and to be able to play in that era too, I think that's like something important to note about his career. If you look at his career stats, you know, from he, he gets hurt right at the tail end of his uh, stint with the Flyers. Yeah. He only plays... Um, in nine in 2000 he only plays like forty no, forty yeah forty five games that year yeah um, yeah between the Flyers and Hurricanes, um, and before that he had always played full 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 seasons because yeah you know such a he was actually one of the Ironmen until that injury happened yeah uh, yeah then he goes to the Hurricanes and he plays uh you know mostly full seasons but one half season of only forty eight games yeah hurt again his stats declined to the point of being like. 50-ish points a game. Now, of course, this is the crazy clutch and grab era. Yeah. But in 2003-2004, he has 38 points in 78 games. Yeah. Then they have a one-year lockout, so I'm I'm just assuming that at age, uh, he would have been oh, 35 then almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just goes and works out for an entire year because he only yeah, played yeah. for one team. And then he comes back and scores 70 points and 82 points in the next two seasons. Yeah. Like, oh, I finally have time to work out. This is great. You know, and he came back super strong and refreshed and ready to play. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, he has a weird career where he has some seasons where he's like, yeah, 50 ish points. And then after those two seasons, he does drop right back down to that again. Yeah. Well, age, age at that point, I think. And I think he blew out his ACL in 2008. So oh, okay. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Um, and just the other thing, just to, just because I feel like I need to say it as well, is it, as you pointed out when you were reading the stuff out, Bill, his Corsi is, you know, for the last, like, basically three seasons of his career when he was, you know, essentially finished, you know, he was 37, 38, 39. And he still managed like slightly above Lee average Corsi or uh, Corsi and and basically league average Fenwick. Yes. So we have to assume had that information been available, you Even know, just a couple of years earlier. Yeah, that we would see higher in the fifties numbers because, like, I certainly feel like that was, um, you know, he, I, I would be very surprised basically if if we did have that information, they wouldn't be higher up in the fifties, like fifty four or something percent if not higher than that, just because of the way he played. And, um, and so, yeah, I think we can, this is all very elaborate for me anyway, way of convincing me to try and ignore the minus. Yes. Yeah. Cause it's a pretty, like, it's not just like minus one, you know, it's, yeah. it's almost minus 40. Yeah. Um, I mean, he played on some bad flyers teams, at the beginning of his career. 
Um, yeah. Carolina had, you know, except for the two cup years, Carolina was generally like a pretty weak team. Yeah. Uh, and when he showed up there, that's one of his really bad minus. Oh, and his last two years actually account for it entirely. Eh? I just realized that the yeah. last two seasons, had he, had he retired after that ACL injury, he would be like, uh, he would be a plus player. There you go. So the well, we just sort of figured out where that minus is coming from. Yeah, we just saw the problem. I should have clearly should have looked at that earlier instead of right now. <laughs> He's a minus sixty-two in his decade in Carolina, and that comes entire almost entirely from the last two seasons. Man alive! Like he's minus fifty-two in the last two seasons. Jeez. And you know that's because he was playing. He was playing nineteen minutes a game one of those two years at age thirty-eight. Yeah, he's, he was a super impressive player, you know, like I, yeah. I, I'm not saying he's a slam dunk, but I think there's a case to be made for him. Um, yeah, we start putting in if we're going to start putting in like, let's say if we put in a guy like Carbono, I think we automatically have to consider a guy like Brindamore to basically be in, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I would I would agree with that. I'm not sure. I agree with you what you said earlier. I'm not sure Carbono belongs, but I would agree with. Yeah. Even um, though I really like him and think he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, that Carolina team uh, that he was playing 19 minutes a game on, where he was minus 23, yeah. best player was Ray Whitney. Oh, yeah. At 36 years of age. Uh, and then Eric Stahl having, like, another one of his, like, you know, not quite living up to his, his old, uh, you know, his first his first season or whatever, where he was, like, 75 points, which is fine. And then Tuomo Rutu, remember him? Yes, I yeah, do. that was that was the top line. Uh, wow. Well, sort of, not not by ice time because uh, uh, Brandon Moore is playing more. Um, and then thirty-year-old Sergey Sansonov was the fifth best player on that team. So they were not uh, they were not great. And uh, though they did make the playoffs, actually, they went far in the playoffs somehow, which is because uh, they were not a great. They were the sixteenth best offensive team in the league, but because this is the NHL. They on the playoffs, and they were also in the southeast, the notorious southeast division, where like crappy southeast, yeah, and they just upset people. Yeah, you could just be like, okay, and you'd, <laughs> you'd win the division because it was so shitty. Um, and uh, really bad, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just I was just curious as to like who the hell was on this team that Rod Brindamore was minus twenty three, but I think it's because he was just playing all the time. Yeah. And not scoring as many points as he used to, so to not, to not even offset it at all. Like just, yeah, Austria at yeah. nineteen points. I mean, that's and that's nine, nineteen points and minus twenty nine. Like it's just oh, it's so sad. That team was terrible. They did not make the playoffs. They were twenty fourth of thirty in goals against, which probably because of Cam um, Ward probably had a terrible season or something. Yeah, or got hurt. Um, yeah, he did get hurt. He only started 44 games. There you go. Yeah, he didn't have a terrible year. The, his backup goalies had terrible years. It was goalie by committee. Wow, though. Minus 29. That's, and he wasn't on the ice that much. He just must have been like, I don't know. You know, they've started doing this thing now where they like, they look, they figure out the save percentage of goalies for when a player is on the ice. Oh, man. So, so that what it helps you figure out is like if they have a particularly bad minus, for example, it's sometimes it's totally the goalie's fault. You know, what? they were just 
um, or vice versa. If they look like yeah. a god on the in the plus minus thing, and then you it turns out that the, while they were on the ice, their goalie had like a nine thirty save percentage. You're like, oh, you know, <laughs> just it might it might be there might be some relationship there, but pro- probably it's more likely that you know their goalie was like playing really well while they were out on the ice for them. Anyway, yeah. that's that's a whole other uh, uh, detour. So down the plus minus rabbit hole yeah 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 shall we uh shall we move on to uh yes let's do peter forsberg so uh full disclosure uh well i should say this at the end but whatever i'll say right now um <laughs> peter forsberg was for a time my favorite player in the nhl so i am not um objective about him just well, I'm, I'm a canucks fan and we had that huge rivalry with colorado yeah. and i i would easily say for a time period he wasn't my favorite player in the NHL, but he was definitely the best player in the NHL. Yeah. All right. Uh, he played in the NHL from 1994 to 2000 with comebacks of nine games in 2008 and two games again in 2010 or 2011 rather. Um, and that's 13 or so seasons and 10 of those were quality. Uh, he scored 249 goals, 638 uh, 636 assists, rather, and 885 points. He's plus 238, which is second sweet all time in 708 games played, which isn't very much. Um, since 1998-99, his average ice time was 20, 15, 20 minutes, 15 seconds, but we're talking about, you know, the, the sort of, what, the last eight years of his, nine years of his career. Um he had 98 point shares. Uh, Forsberg is fourth all time in assists per game. I, that's seriously, he is. And eighth in points per game. Uh, in his draft class in 1991, Forsberg uh, drafted sixth overall, is 31st in games played, but ninth in goals, second in assists, third in points, and first in plus minus. Of the hundreds of players to play in at least 500 games between 1994 and 2007, ignoring his comebacks, uh, Forsberg is 41st in goals, 31st in goals per game, third in assists, first in assists per game, fifth in points, second in points per game, and plus minus behind, I believe, Yager. Uh, uh, but I'm not 100% sure. I think probably Yager. Uh, eighth in offensive point shares, 14th in point shares. And I, because I'm a Forsberg fanatic, I mentioned that he, that he also is 159th in games played among those hundreds of players. Um. I I had to mention it for some reason. His 82-game average is 29 goals, 74 assists for 103 points, plus 26. His three-year peak was um, 2002 to 2006, so uh, overlapping the lockout there, 32 goals, 80 assists for 111 points, provided he'd actually played in a full 82-game season, which I don't believe he did. Um, his possession since 2007-2008, uh, so 11 games total. So these are totally skewed when he was at the tail end and it's all, it really, uh, it looks terrible. Uh, 43.8% Corsi four minus, uh, 5.4% relative Corsi four, 43.9% Fenwick four and minus 8.2% uh, relative Fenwick four, which looks awful and makes him look terrible, but it's 11 games. And, you know, he was, uh, he had that huge foot problem, right? Yes, yeah. He, didn't, uh, he had like a bone spur or something in his foot, and he just yeah. couldn't get a skate to fit him right anymore. Yeah, 
So playoffs, uh, 64 goals makes him 20th all time, despite not being much of a goal scorer. Uh, 107 assists is 20th all time as well for 171 points, 18th all time in 151 games, 20 minutes, four seconds, average time on night since 1998, 99. Um, he is 13th all time in playoff assists per game and 10th all time in playoff points per game. Adjusted uh, 278 goals, 609 assists for 977 points. Adjusted 82-game average, 32 goals, 81 assists, for 113 points. Forsberg is fifth all-time in adjusted assists per game and sixth all-time in adjusted points per game. He was traded once before he played in an NHL game in the craziest, one of the craziest trades in the history of the NHL, and he was traded once at the end of his career. Okay. His accomplishments. He won the heart in 03, um, stealing it out of Marcus's, Marcus Naslin's hands at the last minute. Um, and uh, the Calder in 1995. Um, he won the Art Ross in 03 as well. Again, right out of Naslin's hands, stole the points uh, points thing from him on, I think, the la- maybe the last day of the season. Um, but that, that was the year where Naslin and Bertuzzi and yeah. were the top three, and they were just, like, gunning for those points. And he played on that incredible line with Tange and Heyduk. Yeah. And then they Vancouver had their top line. They're both just like far and away the best lines in the NHL. Yeah. Well, to go over 100 points right in the middle of that clutch and grab, like, yeah, yeah. Is pretty impressive. Um, yep. He was top five in Selkie voting twice. He was a top five player once in 03. He was a top five offensive player once. Uh, I think that's the same thing twice. Um, no, no, no. One was top five overall. One was top five offensive. Oh, interesting. Um, top five offensive player once in 03, and top 10 thrice, if you also add 98 and 99. He scored 30 goals twice, 25 goals six times. He tallied 80 assists once, 70 assists twice, 60 assists five times, one of only 25 players to do so, 50 assists seven times, 40 assists eight times. He scored 110 points once, 100 points twice, 90 points four times, 80 points six times, 70 points seven times, and 50 points 11 times. He led the league in assists once, top five four times, top ten seven times. He led the league in assists per game thrice and was top five nine times. He led the league in points once, he was top five four times, uh, and he was top ten five times. He led the league in points per game twice. Top five, five times. Top ten, eight times. He led the league in plus-minus once, and he was top ten thrice. He was a first-team All-Star three times. He was first-team All-Rookie. He made five All-Star games. For the three stars, he was Rookie of the Month once. And for his non-NHL, he was the Swedish Elite League MVP twice and uh, Player MVP the same two years. All right, great team. So he was the best player. He led the playoffs in assists and points on one final four, the uh, 2002 Avalanche. He was the best player, led the playoffs in points on one final four, uh, the 1999 Avalanche. He was the best skater on one final four, the 2000 Avalanche. He was a top three forward by points on one champion, the 1996 Avalanche. He was a top six forward by points on one final forward, 1997 Avalanche. He was injured, but if you go by average time on ice, he was the best forward until he was hurt on one champion, the 2001 Avalanche. The Olympics, he was the best skater by points on one Olympic champion, 1994 Sweden, where he uh, introduced the famous 
goal, um, shootout goal style that people have been copying ever since. And I don't know if he invented it or just popularized it. The first guy to do it, but he's the first guy to do it in that big of a moment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, top three forward by points on one Olympic champion, the 2006 Sweden uh, team, Swedish team. He was the best skater, won the best forward tournament award on one world champion, the 1998 Swedish team. And he was also uh, the best forward uh, by tournament award on 1993 Sweden, who were a silver medalist. He was a top three forward by points on one world champion, 1992 Sweden, and one runner-up, 2003 Sweden. He was injured on one world champion runner-up, 2004 Sweden. World Juniors, he was the best player. He set the tournament record in points at the time for world junior champions, uh, 1993 Sweden. He was a top three forward by points on one world junior champ uh, championship runner-up Swedish team the previous year, 1992. Um, so that resume is good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a triple gold club um and uh he uh i mean the the thing for me aside from my my personal like just enjoyment of him as a player is i remember him being despite his terrible terrible course in the last 11 of his games a year i remember him being like imp it looked like it was impossible to play against him oh my god yeah and what I think is particularly notable about him is his ridiculously high. Yeah. He only played 700 games and maybe had he played 1500 games or a thousand games or whatever, his points per game would be lower. But the thing that's impressive to me about him is his ridiculously high points per game, given how defensively dominant he was as a forward. Um, and, and that has always made me think of him as one of the like, not just one of the best players of his era, but possibly one of the great centers in the history of hockey. And maybe I'm exaggerating because I really like him. But um, you know, I like I said, I'm not his, you know, I'm not an Avalanche fan by any stretch. But I loved watching him play hockey because he could play any style, which was the thing that impressed me the most. You wanted to play finesse, he could skate up down the ice with you and score a bunch of goals. You wanted to play, you know, a grind it out in the corners really rough game where everybody's cross-checking each other he could do that you know he literally could play every single style of game and still be just as dominant like it didn't matter he was a very very complete hockey player um, yeah and the thing is too Sackick was their number one center for years Forsberg was their number two center but most people were like I'm pretty sure Forsberg's their number one center like I think he might be better and Sackick is like phenomenal right like yeah so, so well I think Saki was the better goal scorer by a lot, right? Yeah. Like that, that crazy and, shot he had. Yeah. And, and, and I, uh, my memory is that uh, actually is that uh, sometimes Forsberg would play on Sakic's wing before they figured out, um, you know, that whenever they wanted to like, you know, double up. Yeah. Like uh, sometimes in the power play and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, but um, yeah, I actually, I, one of the, funny things, and we were talking about this with Datsuk and Zetterberg in the last episode, is like, for me, my perception was always that, yes, Sakic might be the better offensive player, but like like you said, uh, Forsberg was the more complete, well-rounded hockey player. Yeah. And, and the thing that I found weird at the time watching, and the thing that I find weird going back and looking at the ice time, is that Sackick was played more, generally speaking. Not all the time. Some some years he wasn't. Like in in uh, where was it? Uh, like in two thousand, uh, uh, he was um, 
Forsberg was played more than Sackett, but on the whole, Sackett was played more. And some of that, I think, probably especially later in this career, was um, a desire to protect Forsberg because he was notoriously injury prone. Um, and some of that, I think, was probably line matching, mm-hmm. you know, having uh, the other team would put out their top line and you know it, it the the avalanche had especially when they were at their dominant best they had a, a bunch of like their their bottom six were pretty damn strong for a long time but like the thing is you could put out forsberg's line against you know the top offensive line and you weren't going to be worried like as if you put out uh the you know a normal top offensive line um but i i that was always something that i found weird because to me yeah, Sackick was absolutely incredible offensively, but like I felt like Forsberg was the better player. Now I am very biased um, because you know I, he was my favorite hockey player for quite a while, um, despite the fact I didn't get to see him all that much because you know nineties. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the the yeah I know right, um, the, like you almost didn't get to see the Avalanche and uh, and Detroit until it was uh, until it was. Uh, playoff time and then they, they yeah. actually, actually show all the games and you get to see how great they were but uh, yeah like I, th- I think one of the testaments that, like you can just look at two seasons in Forsberg's career and see and they're they're almost a full decade apart or well I guess if you let's see <laughs> close enough seven years apart <laughs> points in 95 96 which I think we agree is sort of the last year before the clutch and grab is just everywhere. Yeah, um, I mean, it was already starting, but yeah, it wasn't it was starting, a absolute like, worst. Yeah. Hadn't won the cup yet, right? Once yeah, the yeah. Or, no, I, no, they had won the cup. Ninety-five, they won. Yeah. And then Florida made it. That's right. That year, just by clutching and grabbing. So I guess it was yeah. there. But he scored a hundred yeah. points that year. Then it yeah. was like the default setting for <laughs> the entire NHL, and he had 86, 91, 97. Then he got hurt for a year, but he was still over a point a game. 89 again, and then when uh, then he missed uh, an entire season due to injury and only came back for that playoffs, and he only played um, 20 games that year. Um, oh, sorry, it was the year before where he got hurt with the spleen thing. That's why he didn't play the, the entire regular season due to injury. He ruptured his spleen in the playoffs. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah, I do. That was the year they won the cup. Like, he played amazing, and they're like, yeah. Yeah, we're- he, was their, he was their best player prior to him yeah. hurting his spleen yeah. yeah he had 14 points in 11 and 11 games so yeah and that's playoff hockey in back in the clutch and grabs so that's really impressive. yeah yeah um and then he didn't play in uh, 2001 2002 recovering from said injury which was a really bad i think it was a lacerated spleen i think it was something really awful it sounded he, terrible it was bad all of it was bad um and then he was out for a really long time and then he came back just for that year's playoffs and scored 27 points in 20 games I mean, yeah, he was still awesome. Yeah. And then the next year was the year he scored 106 points in 2002, 2003, which for those of you who, you know, may not have been watching hockey at that point or don't remember as well as you think you do is basically rugby on ice. So, I mean, uh, literally any style and still put up well over a point a game. Two, two point, uh, 2.54 goals per game, uh, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah yeah basically every game finished 2-1 <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. If, if it wasn't a tie <laughs> yeah 
Um, yeah, that's that's terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, and the other thing that I, I just thought was so impressive about him is even when his career was dwindling down and he was just playing like, you know, a little bit here and there, like, because he still clearly wanted to play, but like, just couldn't. Yeah. Um, I remember like these little stretches, like uh, that that time on, um, you know, on Philly where like, you know, he, he uh, his career in Philly is like, it's it's ridiculous. He's 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 old and hurt. He's in his early thirties and is hurt, and he scores 115 points in 100 games. Um, you know, and and then uh, you know somehow in Nashville he still manages 15 points in 17 games despite uh, you know again being like injured and and then there was his like his comeback which I discounted in talking about his era where he like scored 14 points in nine games despite the fact that he was 34 and. And, uh, you know, um, I think came back in the middle of the season and, and just, he just kept having health problems and he couldn't, he couldn't stay in the league. Oh, but. Just, that's it. They couldn't find the, he tried like a million different things to find a skate boot that wouldn't, cause like basically whatever it was, it was like, it was like a foot injury. Maybe he broke his foot blocking a shot. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just like a bone growth or some sort of spur or whatever, but whatever it was, basically he couldn't skate without like extreme pain in one yeah. foot. Yeah. Or at least not at the NHL level, right? Like, you could probably go for leisurely skate and be okay, but, like, to twist and turn and do all the things you have to do in the NHL, to put that much pressure on that one point, I think was just, like, he couldn't keep playing. Yeah. I mean, he was still putting up points because he was that good that, I mean, even with hampered skating, he was going to be one of the best guys on the ice. But, I mean, at a certain point, you got to throw in the towel. And it's bad to watch a guy finish his career like that who was so great. You're like... He should have been like the kind of guy, you know, going around the ice, waving to the crowd, like, thank you for my 20 year career in my yeah, career. Yeah. yeah. You know, he sort of went out on like a down note. It's like, oh man, he was awesome. He was so good. Yeah. It really was. And like, I, I, uh, I was in all of them um, when I used to watch him. And that was, you know, one of the reasons he was my favorite player, I think, was just like sort of awe that like he, cause he always seemed to be like giving like, you know, everything all the time and which is one of the reasons i guess he was so injury prone um and uh and i'm glad we've moved on from that era where like you know people believe that like you have to hold players accountable for trying extra hard and 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 getting hurt because they were trying they're like doing too much or whatever like i just i don't know i always thought that was stupid um well, I, I just think punishing any athlete because you know some guy took a cheap shot on him or just bad, the bad luck of having your knee blown out and all you were before that injury was excellent. And it's like, yeah, we have any reason to believe he would not have been excellent the next five yeah. years. Yeah. Like, you know, unless you get your knee blown out when you're 41 and it's like, well, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have continued that for the next five years. Yeah. yeah, really yeah. Like getting there. Other than that, it's like, okay, the guy only played six years and every year he was the best player at his position in the entire league. Yeah, that kind of guy, like that kind of excellence, you should be like, yeah, that should be going to the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? And I'm actually speaking of speaking of that, I, I'm surprised you didn't win a Selkie, um, because pretty good. He was pretty damn good, and he lost one year. He lost to Michael Pecka, which I, I I feel like you and I are probably both okay with. Yeah, Pecka was yeah, he was really really good. Yeah, uh, and the other year, that's what. So, sorry. <laughs> He was especially good once he left Vancouver, <laughs> which most yeah, of the yeah. way it usually goes. <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah, when he was in Buffalo. So Forsberg finished second to him once. 
And then the other time he came in top five, he finished behind Leidenen or Leidenen, Madden, and Wes Waltz. Oh, yeah. Wes good. Oh, okay. See, I never watched Minnesota. Yeah, well, I, I did, unfortunately. He used to kill us in the playoffs. Like, man, that guy's yeah. so fast. And just like yeah. this, because that's how he made the NHL, right? Like, if they hadn't expanded, he probably wouldn't have made it. And he had blown a bunch of chances when he was younger or just didn't make it when he was younger. And then was just okay. like, the NHL, watch this. And he was, he was really good for a couple of years. Okay. I didn't realize that. Well, it was a Jacques Lemaire special too, right? Like, yeah, was, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. John Madden too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John Madden was really good. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't have, I have no complaints about either of those award voting things really. Yeah. Um, excellent defensive forwards. So. Yeah. But like, you know, as we've talked about before, uh, awards sort of over time, you know, you forget about the people you, you assume the people who won are the people who were like the best at, and, and I guess like, just like with Hosa, I feel like Forsberg was exceptional defensively and, you know, everybody who saw him play knows that, but like in 20 or 30 years, people will be like, really? You know, like he clearly looks like he was an all offense player because like, look at that. Like, you know, what did I say? Eighth all time in points per game. Yeah. Look at that sweet off. Look at that sweet highlights package. Like, yeah. yeah you know, and the highlight where he destroyed that guy and took the puck away from him. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, as I said at the beginning, I, 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 I think there's no question that he belongs. But in addition to that, I feel like he he definitely like I would I would have him high up higher up than I think a lot of people would in like all time centers. I don't know where that is. Um yeah. obviously not, you know, uh anywhere near the very, very top, but like I would probably have him higher up just because I, I saw him play and I I don't you know, the old guys who who may have been uh, either defensively responsible or defensively dominant uh, centers who I never saw play. And there's no real data to show us that. Like, I just don't, there's no way of comparing them. Right. So like to, to one classic example um, uh, would be like Dave Keon, who I don't have any reason. I, 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 you know, the story is, is that he was an excellent defensive player, but there's nothing in the stats that have come down to us to suggest he was, you know, I have no idea. I literally have no idea, but his reputation was that he was like the best defensive center uh, or one of them in the league. And that's like why he won a con Smythe, for example. Um, who knows? I have no idea. But <laughs> yeah, all, all, yeah. all of that is just to say that like, without knowing that I would have Forsberg really high up on my list of the top centers in the history yeah, of me, hockey, but I'm too, biased. I, I honestly think the stats bear him out as being like, if you start looking at assists per game, goals per game, you're like, you are an excellent, excellent. Player. He did that. He did that in clutch and grab. The majority of his career is clutch and grab. He is eighth yep. all time in points per game. Eighth. I know. That is yeah. crazy. It's, you know what? The, the, I would make that argument for him, for someone who said like, oh, really? Like he didn't like his point totals aren't that great. I would do the same sort of thing that I, w I used to do for Burray when people would be like, really? Burray's going to get in? Like he didn't even score 500 goals. And I'd be like, who are the top three players for, you know, I think this may have changed now since Ovechkin, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, who are the top three players in goals per game average for their entire career? And they're just like, 
I don't know, like bossy Mario Lemieux for race three. You don't yeah. think he wins the Hall of Fame? Like, oh, yeah, maybe he's pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. So, nope. They didn't take him out at the knees. He would have scored, you know, God knows how many goals. So, so just, so just to hammer that point home yeah. um, for this particular player, number one is Gretzky, obviously. Yeah. But he played, and this is not to say anything bad about Gretzky. We're just pointing something out. He played the majority of his career mm-hmm. in the highest scoring era ever. Lemieux was two, played a substantial chunk in the highest scoring era, and then played some a fair amount of time in the lowest scoring era as well. Mike Bossy played his entire like an old guy who'd beaten cancer and had yeah. like no Lemieux was awesome, <laughs> and like Lemieux just goes to show you that adjusting for era is also not necessarily a good idea because when you look at the fact that he came back and he was old and he was still really, really able to like score a ton, even though scoring itself had, had gone down. Um, anyway. Um, and then we have bossy who played in high scoring era ever. We have, or who played in a slightly lower scoring era and more of a normal scoring era, uh, Dion Crosby, Stasny, and then Forsberg. Those are the top eight points per game players all time. So, like, Forsberg is the only person there who played the majority of his career in the Deb Puck era. Yeah. So, to me, I think that I find that extraordinarily impressive. Oh, me too. Like, like I was saying before, there was at one point in the NHL, there was no question who the best player in the NHL was. Yeah. And, like, that year that, you know, Nasland on the last day ended up losing the. I think they ended up losing because uh, it's the Canucks. So, of course, they did. Um, they ended up losing the division and the like Art Ross Trophy race. And oh God! Everything on the same last day, and yeah. they like a game at home. They lost like three nothing to some pile of crap team. And I was like, "Yep, that's my team." <laughs> but it was unquestionable. Like, like at one point, like Naslin for those few seasons was probably the best winger in the NHL. Yeah, it was very, far, very good. Far and away, the best player in the NHL. Like he could, he was like. He was like if you combined Nasland and Bertuzzi into one player. <laughs> physical thing, but you could also do the finesse thing, and you literally couldn't stop the guy. Like, yeah. so many ways. And didn't really even focus on scoring goals. He's like, yeah, I could, but I'm just going to pass the puck off to these other guys that I have because I'm on a yeah. winning team. Like, he was, he was something else. And it, it's it's like the Lindros argument we made too, right? Like, yeah. how do you not put this guy in the Hall of Fame? There was like a four or five-year stretch where you were like, you could have a debate with anybody in a bar and say like, he is the best player in the NHL and you would have a serious case. And only if the other guy was like a major fan of somebody else, would they be like saying, no, he isn't, or no, he doesn't have a claim to that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I would say from 2000 to 2004, he was the best player in the NHL. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that. And uh, yeah, I, I think he was, you know, I think he's one of the great all time greats and, uh, you know, and I think it, there's one of the things you can say about him too is like, you know, he has that in addition to the NHL stuff, the awards, but also the like playoff success when he was healthy and stuff. He also, you know, he went out and he was excellent for his uh, his home country abroad as well. And you know, he's got like I said earlier, his triple gold, and that's uh, getting to be a less and less exclusive club, uh, yes. or at least it was when the when the NHL players were in the Olympics, but. Um, it's a still a pretty exclusive club, and uh, you know he was like. I, I think if you look at how exclusive that club is when you won it before you were in the NHL. Yeah. Like, like maybe like 
two or three guys. <laughs> like, yeah, it wouldn't be very many. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be very many. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, and there's, it just, you know, he just seems like he was always said, like he, when he was on the ice, he was very like fierce. Like he looked, he had those like that, like almost like that Scott Stevens thing with like those burning eyes where you're like, God damn, that guy's so competitive. He wants to just like yeah. go through everyone. And oh yeah, he looks like he could kill somebody. Yeah. Guy in the world, like his face would completely change the minute he was off the ice. You're like, oh, that's just how he yeah. plays hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's actually there's a great video you can find on YouTube for anybody who's listening and likes those sort of kitschy videos where they do stuff and prank people. They throw him into like an old old timers league in Sweden. Okay. And the captain of the team tells them like, oh, this guy he used to play a lot and he hasn't played in a few years, so he's gonna be a bit rusty. And he comes out <sighs> and he's just. He's like just pretending to be the worst. He misses every pass. He skates like he's crap, and the guys on the bench start getting mad at him. And then <laughs> the guy's like, "No, no, he's he's gonna be okay. He's gonna shake the rust off." And then he starts doing Peter Forsberg things. <laughs> he scores like five goals, and you're like, "Wow, he's good." And then all the guys are like, they ask the guys like, "Did you know it was him?" And one of the guys is like, "I saw him when he started to skate well again." I'm like. I've seen somebody skate like that before. Who is it? And he's like, and then I figured it out. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Peter Forsberg. But they, they gave him like dark hair and changed his eye color. So it was oh, harder to tell it was him. It was really that's cool. You'll have to watch that. That's yeah. that's funny. All right. Shall we move on to our old timer? Yes, let's do. All right. Take it away. I will as soon as I uh, actually get it loaded up on my <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I have an iPhone 4S. Sometimes you gotta wait. Yeah, we uh, we picked Nibor because, uh, well, we'll tell you why. But like, because we sort of figured he might possibly have been a more defensively responsible old timer compared to some of the other guys um, of his era. And we have no idea if that's true or not. But we will tell you why. As usual, when we talk about our old timers, we don't actually know anything. Yeah, um, don't have much input. A very good, educated guess, but that's we yep. only have the stats that are in our hands. Yep. Okay, so Frank Nybor played in the NHL from uh, 1917 to 1930, which is 13 seasons. Seven of those were quality by modern standard of 0.5 points per game. He um, had 139 goals, which was seventh all time at his retirement. And 98 assists, which was first. Remember, the, there was only one assist back then. Yeah. Um, for 237 points, which was fifth, in 349 games, which was third. And a 31.8 point share, which was 17th. Nybor was the career leader in assists from the 1918, uh, sorry, 1918-19 season until the 1930-31 season. Thought there was going to be a weird like Spanish flu thing in that season when I saw it. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, at his retirement, Nybor was 19th all time in offensive point shares. Nybor didn't play enough to qualify for the Hockey Reference per game leaderboards, but if we set the quali uh, qualifier to 300 games, six players at his retirement, Nybor was fourth in goals per game, first in assists per game, second in points per game. He had an 82-game average of 33 goals and 23 assists for 56 points. His three-year peak, 1917 to 1920, uh, he had a 24-game average of 26 goals, 16 assists for 24... There's something wrong there. 40 points? No, 42 points. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I don't know what's going on there. That's weird. Math. Um, 
It's about as good as it gets, by the way. Um, that's why Riley does all the stats, folks. Yeah. Um, playoffs, four goals and nine assists for 13 points in 20 games. Nybor became the career leader in playoff assists in 1921 and held that record until 1932. His adjusted would be a uh, fantastic 212 goals, 549 assists for 761 points. His adjusted 82-game average would be 50 goals, 129 assists, <laughs> 179 points. We got another Gretzky, folks. Yeah. Uh, he was traded once at the end of his career. His NHA stats. Uh, from nine, uh, he played 1912, uh, the 1912-1913 season, and from 1915 to 19, uh, 17, which were three seasons, and all were quality. 85 goals, 10th all-time, 15 assists, which could be as high as 15th all-time. For 100 points, as high as 10th all-time. In 61 games, as high as 15th all-time. If the qualifier is set to 60 games played, approximately three seasons, Nybor is fourth all-time in goals per game, fifth in assists per game, and fourth in points per game. He had a 20-game average of 28 goals, five assists for 33 points. His playoffs, one goal, one assist for two points in two games. He may have skipped out on his first NHA contract, but we're not sure. The no, we're sure. We're sure. Oh, sorry. No, I'm not sure. No, sorry. It may. It may. Um, his PCHA was from, uh, he played there from 1913 to 1915, hence the skipping out on his contract to go make some sweet Pacific Coast money. Yeah. Um, he played two seasons, and they were both quality. 33 goals, 12 assists for 45 points in 28 games. A 15-game average of 18 goals and 6 assists for 24 points. And then he skipped out on the contract again to rejoin the NHA. I guess they stopped paying him some of that sweet West Coast money. I think probably. Uh, he won the heart in 1924, and I have a lot to say about that. Uh, <laughs> he won the Lady Bing in 1925 and 1926. He was a top five player by point shares once in 1919 and top 10 twice in 1920. Uh, he was a top five offensive player by offensive point shares twice in 1919 and 1920, and a top, five, uh, top 10 five times, so add 1918, 1921, and 1924. He's a top 10 defensive player by defensive point shares twice uh, in 1919 and 1920. So we know uh, DPS back then is super sketchy. He scored 25 goals once. He was top five in goals three times, top 10 four times, top five in goals per game three times, top 10 five times. Never set the single season record for assists in 1919, 1920 and held the record until 1921-22. He led the league in assists twice, top five five times top 10 seven times he set the single season record in assists per game in 1919-1920 and the record held up again until 1921-22 he led the league in assists per game once he was top five three times he was top 10 four times he was top five in points three times top 10 six times he was top five in points per game three times top 10 six times in the nha he led the nha in goals once top five twice top 10 all three seasons he was in the league he led the NHA in goals per game once. He was top 10 probably three times. He led the NHA in assists once. He might have been top 10 one other time, but he had one-third of the league leader. He led the NHA in assists per game once. He might have been top 10 a second time, uh, but once again had one-third of the assists uh, of the league leader. He led the NHA in points once, top five twice, top 10 twice, uh, three times. Led the league. 
uh, led the NHA in points per game once, top 10 probably three times. In the PCHA, in his two seasons, he was top five in goals once, top five in goals per game once, top 10 assists maybe once, maybe top 10 assists per game once, but had one-third the assist leader. He was top five in points once and top five in points per game once. Okay, his great teams. Remember, the Stanley Cup was vied for by multiple leagues in the wild, wild days of the 1910s and 1920s. Uh, so his NHL accomplishments, he was the best player on one NHL Stanley Cup champion, the 1920 Senators. He was the best skater. He tied the NHL playoff record in assists and led the NHL playoff in points on one Stanley Cup champion, the 1921 Senators. He was the best skater, led the NHL playoffs in goals and points on one NHL runner-up, the 1922 Senators. He was a top three forward, tied for the NHL playoff lead in assists on one NHL runner-up, the 24 Senators. He was a top three forward by points on two NHL Stanley Cup champions, the 23 and 27 Senators. He was a top six forward by points on one NHL runner-up, the 1919 Senators. And he had an unknown role on one NHL runner-up, the 1926 Senators. He was the best player uh, on one PCHA Stanley Cup champion, the 1915 Vancouver Millionaires. I got to say it like that because we're never going to win a cup. So. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think this is a pretty amazing resume. Yeah, um, yeah. You, like like we were talking about, you know, we, we when we talk about the old timers, sometimes we see these guys who are like, some of them were great in all leagues when they played in different leagues, and some of them were great in one league. You know, like uh, Foyston, yes. uh, last episode, you know, was like excellent PCHA player, but like not much, like was more just okay or good rather than excellent in his other uh, leagues. Whereas Nybor was a star everywhere, you know, and, and uh, um, I think for me anyway, I look at this and I go, this guy's very clearly a hall of famer. You know, he was the career leader and assist for a while. And uh, you know, I'm, I mean, he just, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that he's. I, oh yeah, he's. he's I, um, I'm pretty sure he's a lot. I mean, cup, 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 cup. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, at a certain point, you're just like, okay, like, even if like his stats don't bear that out, and the league was pretty small, he was very consistently one of the best players on like. You know, I guess we'd actually call it like almost like a. It, I wouldn't say it's a dynasty because I have very specific rules about the uninterrupted nature of said dynasty. Yeah. Um, and they didn't win all the cups, but the, the senators were really good though. Yeah, they were re they were the dominant team of that era. For sure. Yeah, and you know it was him and Sidenny and uh, George uh, Boucher, um, and neither of those two we haven't talked about yet. Um, but like the other thing is, you know. Yeah, that's impressive. But then you look, and he was everywhere he went. He was a star player. You know, he uh, he led he led both uh, he led the NHL in assists and assists per game, and he led the uh, NHA in goals. You know, and assists and points, and like he you know briefly do very dominant in the NHA, and then you know still very very good in the PCHA when he was younger. Yeah. Um, the reason I suggested him as a defensively responsible, possibly defensively responsible player is because of his heart trophy and his heart trophy is unless he was a defensively responsible player. It's the first ever heart trophy. He was considered the first ever MVP. Wow. 
And guess what? It's fucking <laughs> terrible. <laughs> like, so the, there, there are two possible things I can think of here. One of which is Nibor was really like a, an early forward to back check and, and do things that don't show up on the score sheet and, and made a big difference. And the, the writers decided this is the guy we want to give the first MVP to, or they're crazy <laughs> because here is, here is where here, I'm just going to lay out briefly lay out the case for why Nyberg did not deserve the first ever heart trophy. In, in 1923-24, he was third in goals and offensive point shares, fourth in assists and points, and fifth in point shares, not in the league, on his own team. <laughs> he was what? fourth in points on the Senators. So then he was either extremely important at... Uh... Winning faceoffs, blocking shots, doing all that sweet advanced stat stuff, or maybe it was like an Oscar Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, but he was like, how old was he? He was thirty-three. I guess that's old. Um, he led the league in assists, and and maybe for some reason that was, uh, you know, uh, a thing. I think he was tied for the league lead in assists, though. Um, Anyway, uh, so yeah, he just like oh wait, that's the wrong that's the wrong year. I'm trying to find the right year here for him. Um, like I just I just find it like no, he didn't. Sorry, he didn't lead the lead in assists. That was a different year. Uh, yeah, so like he was he was like, we we read we read over his resume and there was you know he was in 1919. Uh, he was he was a better candidate. If if a heart trophy had awarded, so maybe it was like a do over, but like he had seventeen points in twenty games. Cy Denny had twenty four and twenty two. George Boucher, a defenseman, had twenty two and twenty one. King Clancy, a defenseman, had eighteen and twenty four. All of them outscored him. Would, uh, like, would it be possible that he was still the captain, like, or was the captain at that point? Yeah, he may have very well been the captain. So, the, so then they may have just said, like, well, we've got to give it to the captain of the best team, and they just didn't know what to do with the award yet? It's entirely – well, they didn't know because it was a new thing. So it's entirely possible he was – I don't – the Wikipedia article probably says. Or, or um, I mean, it's, it's probably like one of those lifetime achievement, you know, like I said before, the lifetime achievement Oscar where it's like, we never – we really – we never gave that guy an Oscar? He was really yeah. good. He's going to die soon. Well – and it's in this in in their terms, he's gonna stop playing soon. We should probably give him this yeah. award because you know he was the best or one of the best for a while. We should give it to him. You know? So back then, in because the league was small, the leaderboards are only five players deep. They're not because there's a four team league, right? Yeah. He is not on any of the offensive leaderboards. Yeah. So yeah, I mean your your theories are as good as mine. Yes. Like, you know, we don't we just don't know. But like it it one of the maddening things about hockey history is to go back and to see that the inaugural inaugural uh, winner of the MVP trophy has like no case that you can ascertain by looking at, say, hockey reference. Like, whatever the case is, is is like something else. You know, whether it is 
like you said, a lifetime achievement award, even though he would go on to play another six seasons in the league, which they couldn't have known at the time, of course, or whether it was like he was doing something that you can't see on the score sheet that we didn't. Oh yeah. So his actually, his Wikipedia page says he was an excellent defensive forward. Okay. Now that source is, uh, a book from 2003 called the ultimate A to Z guide of everyone who's played in the NHL. Um, so who knows? Uh, yeah. But that, that would presumably be the reason is that he was, he was an elite defensive forward and we just don't know. Yeah. But so if that's true, then like good for me, I guess, for putting him in with uh Brenda Moore and Forsberg. <laughs> oh, yes. It was a good, good idea to keep with the team. But um, yeah, it's uh I don't know. It's just funny because, like, at least, you know, the heart is normally traditionally awarded when it's awarded to forwards, it's usually awarded to a strong offensive player, right? Yeah. Now, now they obviously didn't know at the time what it was going to be, but uh, it's just funny because it's, you know, it's so glaring because he's like, he's not, he's not, he's not on the offensive leaderboards. He's, he's the number four scorer on his team. You know, it's just, I don't know. I find it, it, it like a very interesting start to the heart trophy. Very, uh, very NHL. <laughs> yeah. Very. And yeah, he was, he was, a apparently was a master poke checker oh. and he was a master sweep checker, but, um, and he was also, uh, apparently he was the first ever lady Bing player as well, because he was so good at taking the puck away without taking a penalty. And so the Lady Bing Trophy was like created to honor him. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, and none of that. Listen, it, if he wasn't really that good defensively, and this is all just old time hockey narrative, it's he still absolutely one hundred percent belongs to the Hockey Hall of Fame. I would say so. Yeah. I just wanted to bring up the weird situation of the nineteen twenty four heart because it is bonkers. Without without you know, had we had even plus minus, it might make more sense. You know, yeah. but, or, but or his time. But. Even now, the Hart Trophy like goes to somebody who has scored a ridiculous amount of points. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty. Well, I So even though he's super valuable, he's not the most valuable because he didn't score that many points. It like it went to Taylor Hall. I got yeah. Come on. Yeah, like I don't, I I can't think of a time when they've given it to a player who's who's uh who is like you know like top like I don't know top ten in scoring only and and was won it because of his defensive abilities like you know yeah you've never seen Taves win a heart where yeah that's who that's who didn't win a heart the best player on the planet you know so yeah yeah maybe even more so than Crosby for a little while until Crosby sort of got his mojo back but again, yeah he was us too so it's kind of not fair <laughs> yeah um shall we uh we do our little wrap up let's do all right so Brenda Moore yay or nay or not sure um, I'm going to lean towards a nay, but still put a not sure on it just because I kind of liked him when he played. <laughs> I really liked him. I think I'm going to go with a nay yeah. just because I feel like if we're, if we're putting in him, like it's a really, really big haul. Yeah. And, uh, and I, let, let me also say that there, are, I, I do believe there are people in the hall who I think Brenda Moore belongs in more than they do. Yes, I um, 
and we are going to get to some of them at some point. But uh, yeah, for me, it's a nay. Uh, Forsberg. Forsberg, absolutely, yes. Slam dunk. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Um, and then Nybor. Yeah, I would say he, he belongs in, uh, given his importance to the early days of hockey and how he was consistently winning cups and one of the better players on his team, if not the best player on his team in a, in a very small league. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. He absolutely. He absolutely 100% belongs. Yeah, and he did it in every single league, right? So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was a, he was never more like he was never less than like one of the top few players in the league. Like yeah. even when he was not the best player in the PSA, PCHA while he was there, he was still one of the top players, even yeah. though he wasn't the very best. And, and when he, you know, he's a member of the 15 Vancouver millionaires, they basically, they got a bunch of money out there from, prospecting or building up Vancouver because Vancouver is a pretty young city. So back in those days, it was just developing. So yeah. Rich guy got a whole bunch of money and basically bought most of the old Renfrew millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we're just going to pay the six or seven best guys we can find and throw them on the ice. So if Nybor is one of those guys, you know, he had to be pretty awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this latest episode. Uh, I believe we know who we're going to talk about next, sort of. We're going to talk next episode. It's going to be Medano and Domfus and an uh, old timer to be named later, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so look forward to that. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. All right. Take care.